Acheron, The Demon King, by Morgan Huxley. Find more great stories at audioiron.com. Chapter 15 Stuart delivered Ahmed to the hospital and watched the doctors cut the bloody clothing off his inert body. Then he put in a call to James letting him know he shouldn't approach Mary or allow anyone else to approach her. Some part of him felt guilty that his friend and aide was currently filled with holes from rusty nails, and another felt nothing but extreme irritation with the girl. It was hard to remember she was under the direct control of a deity. Even on her own, Mary was volatile, mercurial, and traumatized. He would have to be the one to handle her. He was built for it. But he wasn't sure he would be able to muster the patience required to make things better rather than worse. We all have our more unpleasant duties, he reminded himself. For Ahmed, duty meant holes in his lungs. For Stuart it meant trying to keep this runaway train on the tracks. For Mary it might shortly mean death at the hands of a very angry god. Once the doctors indicated they had Ahmed's situation well in hand, and the society's lawyers had arrived to lie about exactly how Stuart had come to bring the injured man in, Stuart returned to his bloody car. A couple of hours after Ahmed had tried to help her then flown back first into a wall, Mary sat on her couch, arms swollen around the bracelet, feeling feverish. She should go to the hospital, she found herself thinking. Someone would be able to help her there. As she contemplated calling either a cab or an ambulance, someone knocked on her door. She stumbled up and forward to answer it, finding herself unexpectedly face to face with a messenger. He had a box in his hands and numbly she signed for it with her left hand. She asked him to set it on the table, which he did. Then he left. She opened the box to find Margaret's purse on top of a stack of documents. There was a note from the museum saying she was the only one who had ever called or visited the woman at the premises and asking her to return these things to Margaret's next of kin. Mary fell back onto the couch. She saw Margaret flying through the air, her head striking a post, the vacant eyes. It hadn't been a dream. Margaret had died because she had tried to warn Mary, had tried to help her. Mary dropped the purse back in the box, and as she did her eyes fell to a photocopy of a news article. Knowing, even as she picked it up what it would say, she read the words. Mother and child found at St. Anne's. It was exactly as the mother superior had told her. Her mother had slit her own throat with a sharp knife. She had to get away or they would kill her. She stumbled up into her room. Her arm felt like a leaden weight attached to her body. It took a long time to change into jeans, a shirt and trainers. Pulling a cardigan over her arm made her cry out in pain. She found her purse reached in to retrieve her keys, and clambered back down the stairs. It had been more than a week since she'd taken her ancient mini-shopping. At first the engine refused to turn over, and each attempt to turn the key made pain shoot up her arm. After four tries the engine caught and she engaged the clutch. She draped her right hand over the steering wheel, used her left hand to put the car into reverse. She guided the car along the gravel until she came to the main road. She shifted into first drove the car forward, biting her lip as she had to turn the wheel with her right hand. It hurt to move her arm, to flex her wrist at all. She should go to a hospital. But she was afraid that Stuart would find her if she did. In a matter of minutes her mini was flying along the road. When she came to a turnpike, she followed it onto the A road, then at the next roundabout she turned toward an M road. In half an hour she was on the highway, driving she knew not what direction. It didn't matter where she went, as long as they couldn't find her. How had she come to this? It must be fate, she found herself thinking. 
Her mother had died trying to save Mary, but the society had found her, tricked her, forced her to serve their purpose. And now she was running, as her mother had run, trying to flee a demon and all of his servants. Anyone she spoke to, who tried to help her would die. She drove into the sunset, following the sun as it curled to the west. She had to go somewhere so remote they would never find her. Her strength was failing. Instinctively she looked to the sky, looking for the moon. She saw it, a tiny crescent in the evening sky. Darkness fell and she was driving through a windmill farm, dozens of thin, two-story scythes slicing through darkness. She was cold, shaking, hungry, and she feared if she didn't stop driving soon she would crash. A roadside bread and breakfast motel emerged from the night. She turned off into the cluster of buildings. It was an effort to get out of the car, to walk to the front door of the manager's home. She rang the bell. The hatchet-faced woman who admitted her had suspicious eyes. She demanded payment in full, all the while staring at Mary's swollen arm. She took the credit card she was handed and ran it immediately. When the charge went through the woman gave her two small towels, a bar of soap, a key, then walked her back to the front door. Cottage near the road, she barked, then shut the door in Mary's face. Deadbolts clicked into place. Mary let herself into the cottage. It was a single bedroom and bathroom decorated in green and white striped wallpaper. There was just a bed, a phone, a broken dresser and a television. The bathroom was bare except for a toilet, shower and mirror. Her first look into the mirror made her cry out. The apparition before had a face as white as snow, matted hair, eyes like dark pits. Agony was evident in every feature. Her arm was swollen, black, and several of the deep scratches were seeping fluid. She bathed the arm in the sink using warm water and soap, forcing herself to open the seeping wounds. When she was done, she twisted one of the towels around the broken flesh, then lurched back into the bedroom to fall on the bed. The phone rang. It kept ringing until she picked up the receiver. She pressed it to her ear, knowing who it must be. Mary? said Stuart. Don't hang up. She gasped. Against her will she kept the cold plastic against her head. How had he found her? How could he have known? I want you to listen to me, he said. There is nowhere to run. The only way to escape is to die. I don't think you want to die, do you? She shook her head. The thing inside you doesn't care if you are killed, he said. But we do. We can't force it to obey us, but maybe you can. You have to let us help. I'm afraid, she said. I want someone to help me. Then listen closely, he said. Margaret died because you broke your oath. You told her about us. She tried to interfere. You killed her. She screamed. You did. You took an oath. You swore to serve us. Events will conspire to destroy you and anyone who helps you break your oath. I have no more control over that than you do. You killed my mother, she said. No. She died because she tried to run away and because she took you away from us, he said. Everyone who helped her died. You belong to us. No. James and I are coming to collect you. You are going to let us help you before it's too late, he said. Ahmed is in the hospital because the thing inside you nearly killed him. Don't let it hurt us. And then he was gone. She returned the phone to its cradle, sat on the bed, tears streaming down her face. She'd never had a chance. They had pursued her, forced her to do as they wanted, bound her to some demon, and now they were coming to collect her. Ten minutes later there was a knock on the door. 
Before she could rise to open it, or bar it, the deadbolt was turning. Stuart stood in the doorway, a pale James behind him. Only you can restrain Our Lady, said Stuart. He entered the room, bent to collect her in his arms like a child. He carried her out into the night, past her mini, to the open door of the black jaguar. He stepped into the car holding her on his lap. She lay her head against his chest, the soft wool of his overcoat pressing into her cheek. Waves of fury and fear rushed through her, frustration and misery fought for dominance. James sat in the driver's seat, the car started, then they were back on the dark road. In a matter of minutes, they had driven through the gates of the abbey and were passing through the woods. She cried out in dismay. Our lady wanted to be here, he said as she cried out in dismay. You were running away. She was coming home. Then he was stepping out of the car, lifting her up, and carrying her into the house. They put her in the same room she stayed in on her previous visit. Stuart set her on her feet just inside the bedroom door. Undress, he said. You'll find something to wear in the bathroom. Too weary to argue, she stumbled into the bathroom, shutting its door behind her. She found a new cotton nightgown, freshly laundered, hanging on a hook. She also saw towels on a heated rack near a glass-enclosed shower. She undressed, contemplated the shower, and gave in to temptation. Twenty minutes later Stuart entered the room to find her sitting on the floor, directly under the shower spray, half unconscious. She was shivering though her skin was bright red from the hot water raining down on her. Did I say take a shower? he asked. He opened the glass door, reached in to turn off the water, and collected her limp body from the floor. He carried her naked to the turned-down bed. When he covered her with the down counterpane, she felt like she had been consumed by a cloud. We've called a doctor, he said. Try not to hurt this one. He left the room and returned with a heavy-set white-haired man wearing a well-tailored business suit and a red tie. The man examined her arm, lifting it, probing the pockets from which fluid seeped. Any chance we can take this off? he asked, tapping the bracelet. No, said Stuart. The man nodded. Let's see if we can bring down the swelling with some antibiotics. Stuart nodded. The man took out a cell phone, said something unintelligible to the person on the other end of the line, then terminated the call. Drugs will be here in an hour. He looked at her. We should drain the pockets and start and fall. Stuart nodded. We need towels, he said. Stuart stepped into the bathroom to retrieve two large white towels that the doctor subsequently laid under her arm on the bed. He pulled a syringe and a small vial from his bag. Mary felt something inside her stir. Take her arm, said the doctor. I'll use a local for the pain. We won't hurt the nice doctor, said Stuart to Mary. He sat on the bed beside her, took her arm at the elbow and wrist in a firm grip. The doctor stepped forward. She watched the very tip of the needle penetrate the skin, felt something coil inside, ready to spring. It will stop hurting in a moment, Stuart said. Let him work. Liquid fire poured through her arm leaving nothing except a fuzzy warmth in its wake. Before long the limb felt like it belonged to someone else. The doctor drew a blade through the swollen flesh near one of the deep scratches. A putrid yellow fluid spilled onto the white towels. The doctor pressed on the edges of the wound, used a needle and thread to close it. He repeated the procedure three more times with other areas on her arm. By the time he had finished his work, her arm was substantially less swollen, though more florid. He applied plasters over the stitched areas, then stood up. 
The next time you decide to amputate your arm, young lady, I recommend that you use cleaner tools. He dropped his materials into his bag. I can give you something to help her sleep. No, said Stuart. Just something local for the pain. At this point James appeared with a bottle of saline and a bag full of some other clear medication. The doctor opened his bag and pulled out a sealed bag of clear tubing. A moment later he had set up an IV into her good arm. I'll send something over for the pain and fever, said the doctor. I'd also like to check on her tomorrow. Then he was gone. Stuart removed the soiled towels, adjusted her blankets, dragged a chair from near the fire to her bedside. Sitting in it, he propped his feet on the edge of her bed. Why are you doing this to me? She asked. What did I do to deserve this punishment? I knew where you were a decade ago, knew what you would have to do and when. But you seemed happy at St. Anne's. I saw no point in not letting you pursue as normal a life as possible. He shifted, staring at his hands thoughtfully. Maybe I should have followed the advice I was given and brought you here to grow up. Mary's arm was starting to ache, and her head hurt. I still don't understand. What is the point of it all? What you need to do now is sleep, he said. You're exhausted and you're not thinking clearly. Then he said something in that language she didn't know again, and she felt something inside her relax a little. He spoke to it some more, and then, after a while she found she liked listening to his odd sing-song language. It became a lullaby that carried her off to sleep. Can she die from the infection? asked James. I mean, do you think the goddess will protect her? She could die from it, but we will make sure she won't, said Stuart. Fortunately, now that we have her back, the goddess won't feel the need to saw her arm off in order to get rid of that manacle. Was that in the society's history books? James asked. Has one of the consorts ever cut off their own arm to release Our Lady? That seems like something we should have known about. It shall be your job to update the records so our descendants know what to expect going forward, said Stuart. Generally the consorts are too well watched, too well schooled, and too well disciplined to be in a position to do the kind of damage she has done. She's not in her right mind, said James. That's why she spoke to Margaret. Mary didn't break her oath. That's why she is not dead. She's not dead because Acheron needs her alive, corrected Stuart. Recording and Story Copyright 2020 by Nancy Fulton. All rights reserved. Music created by D. Kurtzman and licensed from Pond5. Find more great stories at audioiron.com.